0: Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.
1: Listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Paul Muldoon, the poetry editor of the New Yorker magazine, and my guest this week is Sharon Oles, who won the 2013 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry for her most recent collection of poems, Stag's Leap. Hi, Sharon
2: Oles. Hi, Paul Muldoon.
1: Now, the poem you chose to read today is. A very interesting poem, Hubris at Zunzal by Rodney Jones. And I remember being struck, I have to say, when I chose this poem myself as the editor of the poetry for the magazine, not been absolutely certain of what Zunzal referred to, and I had to look it up, I must confess, discovered that it's a beach in El Salvador. So Hubris at Zunzal by Rodney Jones, read by Sharon Oles.
2: Nearly sunset and time on the water of 1984, language its tracer, no image like the image of language. I had waded out about thigh deep, then a shout from the beach. I held in my hand half a coconut shell of coconut milk and 150 proof rum and dumped it white into the waves when it came on me how sweet it had been. Then the idea I was not finished. Then the act of reaching down with the idea I would get it back.
1: Wonderful image of loss, of the impossibility of return in some sense.
2: Right. And I don't know, I connected it with drinking too. I didn't know if he'd spilled it out on purpose or if it had spilled. But I was thinking about, you know, addiction and alcohol and spilling it and then not being able to let it go. So I was reading it from my life rather than the poet's life.
1: Well, certainly the speaker dumps it white into the waves. It's as if it adds to the the whiteness of the waves, presumably the surf uh, coming in being reflected there. Any other observations on this one now, the the 150 proof rum, fairly strong stuff?
2: I don't know. I, I hadn't thought of anything further. It's the way he tells what is and was in his mind. When it came on me, I like that turn, how sweet it had been. And then the repetition of idea, then the idea I was not finished, act of reaching down with the idea, I would get it back.
1: Is the subject of loss something to which you feel particularly close?
2: Yes, I think so. Right. I mean, loss in terms of... Hmm, death or loss of love, loss, just being mortal and how loss is kind of connected with us at all points. And then the all the sweetnesses that come from being mortal that make it worth it. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead.
1: Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't
0: going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after.
2: Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence. A place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. Listen to new stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow the writer's voice wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation.
1: You know, maybe we'll, uh, at this point, move to one of your own poems. It's a poem called Still Falling For Her, And it was published in the December 5th, 2011 issue of The New Yorker. Is there anything you'd like to say about the poem that you think might be helpful for listeners to know? As you know, it flies past one's ear in this particular medium. Mm -hmm. So any help we have might be uh, all to the better.
2: Well, can you think of any, Paul? Because I can't. I'm hoping it will all... Oh, I guess gallows glass is ooh now i'm not going to be able to pass my own test myself i think it's like a person who would stand by the royal person and protect them like a bodyguard but glass as in a mirror and gallows as in death and that this this servant would be taking the king's or the knight's place in battle and perhaps dying instead of the rich
1: I think it's wonderful that those uh, resonances are there in the word gallows, particularly as it's spelt, it's often spelt without the S, and a gallow glass, as it happens, is a Gaelic term, and uh, it means a foreign warrior, gal og a foreign young warrior, and who was indeed a stand-in in in the sense that he generally, I think was a he rather than a woman, was a mercenary. And I think that notion of the stand-in is uh, is beautifully Mm. to the fore there in your poem, Mm. Still Falling for Her.
2: Shall I read it? Please. Still falling for her, the flocks in the jar is softening, From the sphere of it a blossom flutters and the whole sagging thing makes me think of my mother's flesh when she was elderly and it was wilting, keeping its prettiness in its old fangled gentleness. It's as if I'm falling in love again with my mother through the gallows glass of my own oncoming elderliness. As if now that she has been gone from the earth, as many years as a witch's familiar has lives, I can catch glimpses of my mother at moments when she was alone with herself and would pick up her pen and her Latinate vocabulary and describe what it was like on their last cruise when she rose by invitation from the captain's table and stood beside the black grand Steinway in the open ocean and sang. I do not need a picture to remind me of the look on my mom's face when she sang extreme yearning, a yearning out at the edge of what was socially acceptable on a ship like that. And you could also see How happy her face was to be looked at, and you could see her listening to her own voice to hear if it started to go flat or anything she needed to do to get the music to its hearers intact as itself— I am falling and I do not feel that there are rocks below. I think I may go on falling like my own flesh for the rest of my life. And maybe I'll still be falling for my mother after my death or not falling, but orbiting with her. And maybe we'll take turns. Who is the moon and who is the earth?
1: I must say, when I read that wonderful poem, Uh, First time out, I was struck by the playfulness of it. It ends up with this image, I suppose, of uh, the one person pretending to be one thing and the other and taking turns uh, at being moon or earth.
2: As if, of course, when when there's a child, a young child and a fully grown parent, the difference in size and power and everything is so great. And then the difference between these two characters, the speaker of the poem, which is myself, and the speaker's mother, which is indeed mine, the differences aren't so great. And I was happy reading it just now to feel it as a love poem because, it, you know, it's a little... Pert in its picture of the singer on the ship. So it sort of balanced okay with me.
1: I think one of the clues, if one might use that word to it, being essentially a love poem is this uh, beautifully double meaning, as it were, of, of the term falling for. I'll still be falling for my mother, both in the sense of, of course, I will be playing a game for her, but oh. also I will be... <laughs> falling in love with her. In love
2: with her. You know, I never until this moment thought of falling for her, as in for her when she no longer is able in the same way not being alive to fall for herself.
1: Let me ask you about that. I know in my own modest experience, and I think many writers have this experience, that sometimes there are aspects of a poem that despite our best efforts we simply miss. We don't necessarily, as the first reader of the poem, get every possible resonance. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I think we all need editors. But it's one of the reasons also why I think I certainly have a sense that the poem is about its own business rather than one being about its business. Do you you have any thoughts Mm, about that?
2: Yes, yes. I think when we experience that we're not, writing it. I mean, if I make a cake, I, you know, I really feel I'm making the cake. I didn't lay the eggs or, you know, grow the wheat, but I know the steps and I can uh, help it to work. With a poem, not like that, not like that at all. I mean, It's my job to keep a sort of balance and to stay in a mood, not a mood that's neutral, but to not get in the way of the poem too much while I'm writing it, nor to become distanced from it. So we're an important part. The poet is an important part of the poem being written, but sometimes it feels as if these poems find ways to get in from some other world through us.
1: Well, I think that's one of the reasons why Still Falling for Her is such a marvellous poem. And I want to thank you very much indeed, Sharon Owles, for talking with us today. Thank you. So, Hubris at Zunzel by Rodney Jones, which Sharon Owles read. Uh, and of course, her own poem, Still Falling for Her, uh, that wonderful poem about her mother. Both may be found on newyorker.com. And uh, Sharon Owles' latest book of poems is Stang's Leap. I'm Paul Muldoon, poetry editor of The New Yorker. Until next time, goodbye.
0: You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store. You can also hear poems from the magazine read by the authors in the digital edition for tablets and phones, available at no extra charge for magazine subscribers from the App Store or from Google Play. Theme music is The Pentagree Ferryman from the album The Highlander's Farewell by Alistair Frazier and Natalie Haas from Colburny Records. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Owen Agnew for Curtis Fox Productions and newyorker.com with help from Elizabeth Dennison. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.